Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Amen. Why don't you smile at your neighbor? And if you want to help me, why don't you go ahead and stand, get your Bible. If you have it, turn to Exodus, Exodus chapter 17. Before I start this morning, I want to give honor to our pastor. I want to thank him again for the opportunity to speak before you all. I don't take it, I don't take it lightly. For the men that were here this week, don't we have an awesome smith? All the men that were here for men's conference. We've got the best Smith. Thank you, Pastor. We love you. I love you. Exodus chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 1. I'm sorry, chapter 17. I'm sorry. Um, I threw you all for a curveball there for a second. It says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord. And they pitched in Repidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses, the man of God, and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? Would you skip down to verse 7 here in this story? It says, And Moses here, he, he called the name of this place Massa and Meribah. Because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or is he not among us? Verse 8 says, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Repidim. And Moses says unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him. And he fought with Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Ur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Ur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Pay attention here. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar in that place and called it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Will you lift your hands with me and pray this morning? God, we thank you. We thank you in advance, Lord, for what you're going to do in this house. God, I pray, let your anointing fall upon, oh God, this, this lesson today as we glean from your word. I pray, God, would you anoint my lips and would you anoint, Lord God, the message that you gave me this morning. I pray, God, help us. God, to not just hear it, but to be doers of the word as well. Lord, let this seed of the word fall on good ground. 
God, so that we can grow and be more like you. If you're willing to do that, would you say amen and would you clap your hands unto the Lord? And you may, you may be seated. Well, this morning, I'd like to teach on a simple topic, and that is victory over Amalek. Victory over Amalek. This month, our theme has been victory. Brother Sanchez did an amazing job talking about the steps, talking about Jericho. And last week, Brother Mitchell talked about the story of David and Ziglag and how we must encourage ourselves and, and seek the Lord and then pursue in order to have victory. And really, I'm just coming to kind of piggyback and continue that theme. But how many of you can testify there is victory in the Lord? Can anybody? Are you victorious today? Some of y'all don't look like it. Some of y'all got a Debbie Downer face on. But if you're here this morning, you're, you're, you're victorious. God brought you here. You made it this, this far. God has been victorious in your life. The God that we serve is not a weak God. He's a mighty God. The Bible says that he is mighty in power. He is strong and mighty. And he never loses a battle. God has never lost a battle. He's undefeated. And I would argue that victory, I know it might be cliche this morning, true victory or all victory or, or matter of fact, every victory in my life is due unto God. It's due to Jesus Christ. We sing that song, and I know I don't have a voice to sing it, but we say that victory belongs to Jesus, and it is the absolute truth. Victory belongs to God. Every victory in your life, every victory in my life, it wasn't because of how good we've been. It's not because, you know, our good looks. It's not because the money you have. It's not because of your talent and ability. It's because of the grace and mercy of God. It's because of the power of God. You see, all of us, if you don't know, we're, we're lucky today in the day and time we live in. We have the Bible. We have the scripture that we can look to, and we have a cheat code. If you don't know, we have the insight until the end of days. And when it's all said and done, Jesus is going to stand as a victor. Amen. He's going to stand as our champion. Yes. So that's why we can say that God is victorious and that the battle is already won and that victory belongs to him. Amen. But just because we know that God is going to win, tell your neighbor, God is going to win. He's not going to lose. Just because we know that he's going to win doesn't mean we also don't have a part to play in the battle. What I'm trying to say is we are going to have to fight. We're going to have to fight. If I were to put it another way, I would say that fighting is inevitable if you want to be a child of God. As children of God, we can try our hardest, and many of us do. We try to outrun the battle. We, we try to skirt around it when we see it on the horizon. We try to ignore that there are battles that are going to come. And I don't know why, why we do that, but the truth of the matter is, eventually you're going to find yourself in a battle. Whether that's a battle with the devil or if that's a battle with your own flesh or if that's a battle with a family man or a battle with sickness, a battle with temptation, a battle with discouragement. You're going to face battles. Whether you like it or not, there is an enemy that wants to destroy your soul. So don't be ignorant 
that we're going to have to fight. What we need to do is we need to get ready. We need to get prepared. Somebody, how many know preparation is so vital? Have you ever gone on a trip last minute and you didn't have what you needed? Or you left it at home? We're notorious for leaving something at home every time we take a trip. And we're like, man, now we got to go to the store and buy something that we don't want to spend money on. And, of course, when you get to where you get to, it costs more later than if you had just brought it with you the first time, right? But the Bible tells us we must be prepared for the battle. We must look out for the tactics of the enemy. The Bible says don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. And also the Bible tells us we must equip ourselves with the weapons that God has provisioned for us to use. We're going to dive into this a little bit later, but I want someone to know that right now, God never intended for you in your fight to be defenseless. You're not defenseless when you go to battle on behalf of the Lord. There are weapons we can use to combat the enemy. Now, I'll say this. I'm not proud of what I'm going to admit. I'm not here to boast. I'm not here to brag. I'm not here to draw attention to my lifestyle, my living, however you want to call it, my conduct. But when I was a child, I did things that children do. When I was a child, I got into a lot of fights, a lot. Too many to be had if I were to just go down a list. Thank goodness that the fighting stopped. And really, if you know my parents, you can, you can follow up, you can ask them. But the fighting stopped when we decided to start going to church as a family. And I'm thankful that my parents made up their minds that one day they said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm a testimony of my parents deciding to live for the Lord. But B.C., if you would, before Christ, I got into a lot of trouble. I got into little schoolyard fights a lot. And you're like, Brother Trey, really? Yes. And as a result of that, my dad, very, very on the regular, gave me the receiving end of the rod of correction many, many times. And I can remember at some point when I was a child that my dad, he had even got to the point where he memorized the number from the school when they would call our home. You see, we didn't have cell phones back then, but what we did have was an answering machine. And he would get home from work, and he would hit play on that answering machine, and it'd be like, you have two messages from 301-862. Before the last digit hit, he would say, Trey, get down here. You know what you did. And I got in trouble a lot. And I recall a conversation one time after I had received the belt of truth. I had a conversation with my dad. My dad said, Trey, again, this was before we got into church, why are you fighting so much? Why do you keep getting in trouble? Why? Why do you continue to fight your peers, your classmates, this and that, over and over and over, week after week, it seemed like? And I remember I told my dad, Dad, I, listen, straight face, I don't try to fight them. But for some reason, everybody wants to fight me. Okay? And I was like, Dad, you told me if I tell them no and they don't listen, it's on. 
And so I go around telling everybody, you don't want this. You don't want to mess with me. I'm, le I'm letting you know now. And then they would not take that warning. And so that was the liberty he had given me in order to do that. And I know that might be a silly example this morning, but as I was studying last night, I felt like God was speaking to me because the truth is, if we had it our way, the truth is, many times we don't want to fight. We don't want to fight battles that come our way. We, we wouldn't want to fight anyone that just comes up to us. But there are many, and, and this is what I felt God telling me, there are many people now, good men and women of God, you struggle with understanding that you need to fight because you think God is the only one required to fight. You think God is the only one who, and it's true, God does fight our battles. God is victorious, but there is still an element of the fight that we must participate in. And I want to challenge some, someone today that, you know, God called us to be a vessel that he can use. But he also called us to be a vessel that he can fight through or fight with. And I, and I would say that scripture is filled with many, many examples of warfare, of battle. And there's a reason why that is when you read the Bible. You know, the Bible tells us, and let me scroll down in my notes because I have way too many of them. But the Bible tells us... Um, I believe it's in Galatians, that we're to put on the armor of God. Why would there be an armor if we weren't expected to fight? Why would God gift us armor for us to use if we're not supposed to be in a battle? The children of Israel, as an example, as we'll read today, they fought in many, many battles. Jericho, Brother Sanchez talked about. Ziglag, that Brother Mitchell talked about. Over and over and over, the people of God had to fight the adversaries. Matter of fact, in order for them to inhabit the promise that God gave them, they had to fight for it. He didn't just lay it in their hands. He said, yes, I gave it to you, but you still got to eliminate or drive out the inhabitants of the land. How many know that although we can't see it, there is still a war going on? There is a war in the spiritual that is happening for every soul that is in this building. There's an adversary who is warring to, to pull you to a devil's hell, and there's a God who is warring to call you out of that darkness and into marvelous light. And if we want the victory that is in Jesus Christ and understand we're going to have to fight. And really that's the moral or the, the theme of what I'm going to teach today is that we must fight. And so I want to turn our attention back to this story and. Exodus chapter 17, I'm going to try my best to summarize it and give you the cliff notes and highlights. And if you really want to kind of read it all at once, I, I challenge you to read the chapter surrounding chapter 17. Because there's a whole lot that happens when this battle takes place. And the first thing that stood out to me was the atmosphere or the environment that preceded the battle. You know, many of us, when we go to war, when we play a sport or we know we have to battle an opponent, many of us want a motivational speech. We want to be uplifted so that we can go in with our best effort. But that's not what takes place in this story. Matter of fact, the enemy surprises them in an attack. The children of Israel weren't really ready for it, and there's a reason for that. And the reason was the environment that preceded the battle was not a good one. 
It tells us in Exodus chapter 1 that the people of God obeyed the commandment of God in verse 1, and they have found themselves in this place called a Rephidim. And there's no water there, right? And so the people begin to chide, the Bible says, with Moses, and they are upset because they're in this place and there's no water. So what's so special about Rephidim? Nothing really. That word Rephidim simply means rest or resting place. So here they are at a place where God intended for them to rest. And instead of resting and being secure in the Lord, the Bible says they start bickering and quarreling and complaining to the man of God. When the enemy attacks them, he attacks the people who at this point in time are insecure in who their God is. Now look. Water is a big deal. Have you ever gone on a trip? I don't know why I'm on this trip theme this morning, but have you gone on a trip and one of your children is thirsty or hungry? It is like the world is going to end because they need something to drink right away. Like, please, you can make it until we get home from here to church. You can get some water when you get home. All right? But you have millions of people, the children of Israel, they're in this place and understand their complaint that they bring to Moses. Listen, it's a valid one. The Bible says there was no water. Now, I don't know about you, but if you have millions of people in the desert and you're out of water, that calls for a question or two, right? Where, you know, Moses, uh, there's, no, there's no water here. What's the plan? That's usually the best way to approach the man of God or the man in charge. If I was an elder or one of the leaders at that time, then absolutely I would understand the validity of the problem. Again, their complaint was a valid one. However, the spirit and attitude behind the complaint was wrong on all accounts. They were out of line. They were demanding of Moses and demanding of God that they get their water and they get it now. It almost sounded as if, if you read it, you know, they say in verse 2, Moses, they say unto Moses, give me something to drink. It almost sounds like they're owed it at this point. Verse 3 says that they complained to God and that the only reason they were in this place was because God had brought them this far and it was going to kill them with thirst. That's a little overreaction in my opinion. And it was so bad in verse 4 of Exodus 17. It was so bad they get to the point where because they don't have any water, now they want to stone Moses. Exodus 17 and 4 says that Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, what shall I do unto these people? They be almost ready to stone me. It's crazy to think about this environment that is happening right here in this resting place. And again, God does what he does best. He comes through with a miracle. Moses follows God's command here, and he strikes the rock with the rod. And boom, another miracle. Now God's people have a supply of water that never runs dry. Now, I'm certainly not here to downplay the miracle, but man, if you can just picture yourself in this environment, what a toxic place to be. In the preceding chapter, Exodus chapter 16, God provides the children of Israel with manna. For the next 40 years, God would supernaturally provide food for them, and now they also have water provided for them for the next 40 years. And it's incredible to think that this people would have so much doubt in their hearts about what God was able to do in this place called Rephidim. Because at this point, they had already watched God do miracle signs and wonders, the ten plagues that happened in Egypt. 
They watched God pull them out of slavery with his mighty hand. This same group of complainers had walked through the Red Sea on dry ground just days before. They didn't even have to lift a finger as God destroyed their Egyptian pursuers. God had brought them through so much. He had done so much, but still they would doubt him if he brought them this far. They would doubt the man of God who was leading him. They doubted the word and power of God in their life at this point. And I really want to drive home this kind of foundational understanding of this atmosphere, this toxic and, and very cynical environment that they were in, where God's people now, even after being brought through so much, are second-guessing whether God was leading them or not. Have you ever been there? You know God has done things in your life, but here you are now, and you're starting to second-guess him. God, I've been going through this sickness for so long. Are, are, are you really able to do this for me or not? God, you said that you would do this. You said we're headed to a promised land, God, but now I don't have no water to drink. What is, what's going on? And the reason why it's important to understand this atmosphere was because it's within such an atmosphere that Amalek attacks. It's in this environment that Amalek rises up to oppose the people of God and the promise of God. Exodus 17 and verse 7 and 8 says, and Moses calls the name of this place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Have you ever said, God, are you with me? Or are you not with me? I want to tell you something. It's in that place because the very next verse, Amalek attacks. Amalek attacks suddenly without provocation, immediately after being in such a toxic environment. Those words Massa and Meribah there, they're translated as challenge and strife. When, you're, when you start challenging God and strifing with God, be careful because an attack may be right behind what you're going through. You see, Israel did not do anything to antagonize the Amalek people. The scripture doesn't tell us that they had any communication with one another. Unprovoked, the Amalekites decided to rise up against the people of God. And if you're like me, you're probably wondering or asking the same sort of questions that I asked as I read this story. Why didn't God simply defeat the Amalekite people like he did the Egyptians? What vendetta did Amalek have against the people of God? Who and where did these people come from? Why is Amalek so important to such a degree where God would later on say, I'm going to blot, blot them out of existence? So let me go ahead and give you the answer this morning, and I'm going to tell you that Amalek is a type or a representation of the flesh. Amalek represents our carnality. If Bishop would hear, he would say, pinch that stuff, right? It's, it's flesh. And it's amazing to me when I look at this story that the first battle, this is the children of Israel's very first battle ever. They're out from under, under you know, Egyptian Slavery, and this is the first battle they ever engage as a people. And their first fight isn't a fight with anyone else, but a fight with their flesh. Freshly removed from the influence of the world, they are now fighting amongst themselves. They're in strife and doubt, and in spite of God doing miracle after miracle, they struggle to trust him, and now they have to battle with Amalek, again, who is a representation of our flesh and our will. Which, if you don't know, the Bible says our flesh is contrary to the things of God. 
Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the law, for the, I'm sorry, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile. I think the King James Version says it's enmity against God. For it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. Verse 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Galatians 5 in verse 16 says, this I say, then walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And so again, at the end of our text in Exodus, God tells Moses that he will blot out the remembrance of Amalek and that his people will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And as I was studying, I was like, God, what would cause you to say such a thing? I say, God just said, well, you got to know where Amalek comes from. Genesis 36 and 12 records that Amalek is a descendant of Esau. Esau, who is the twin brother to Jacob or Israel. Many of you know the story. Jacob deceives his brother Esau with a bowl of porridge. Many would say the birthright was stolen. My Bible tells me, however, in Genesis 25 and 34, that Esau, this forefather of the Amalekites, Esau despised the birthright. Esau didn't want the things of God. It wasn't important to him. It was inconvenient. It was a hindrance. And after he lost it, he would never get it back. And so fast forward to our story here. What's really taking place is Esau's descendants are attacking their distant kin. They're attacking their family, essentially, the Israelites. Perhaps in a different universe, these two might be switched or the opposite way around, right? But, but right before the children of Israel head toward their promise, they have to fight against the thing that wants nothing to do with the promise. They have to fight against Amalek, again, who despises the things of God, who's contrary to the things of God, who's against the promises and the will of God. Amalek would rather kill the promise or kill it before it has a chance to get where it needs to go than rather be, or, or I should say, be led by carnality. That's what Amalek would have you do. Follow what feels good to you. Follow what you enjoy doing. Don't follow what God says to do, but follow what your flesh says to do. It's amazing how two twin brothers with such an amazing heritage would have such different paths when you look at Jacob and Esau. Their fathers, Abraham and Isaac, they spoke to God. They were led by the Lord directly. They were giving amazing promises of God, but only Jacob, only Israel would serve the Lord. Esau's descendants didn't even know who God was. The ultimate question here is how do we get victory over such an enemy? How do we get victory over our flesh? How do you fight your flesh? And the answer isn't complicated. When we look at this story, I found, if I have time this morning, three things that the people of Israel did in this fight with Amalek. And the first things, they're not deep revelation this morning. The first two things are that you must pray and you must fight. That's it. You must pray and you must fight. The third thing is that, we'll get to it hopefully if we have time, is that you also must remember. So looking at this story, Exodus 17, 
Verse 9 says, Moses said unto Joshua, choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua, he obeys Moses, does what he says, goes out and fights Amalek. Moses, Aaron, and Hur go up to the top of the hill, and it came to pass when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. And so my first step or my first point, and again, both fighting and praying, you need to do both, but I want to talk about the praying part first. You must pray, you must intercede in order to have victory over your flesh. The Bible says Moses lifted up his hands, which implies that Moses, on top of that hill, he petitioned God to help them in order to win. God, there's no way we can win this. I got to come to you in order for you to help me get through what I am facing. I need you to help me overcome myself. Help me overcome this flesh. And so when you look at the actions of Moses, Moses is interceding. He is praying. And the truth is, he can't stop praying. He can't give up on interceding. Why? Because if he gives up, Amalek's going to win. And there are many principles we can learn from Moses' actions. I could say, and we can go and teach on this forever, but, you know, first he was a man of God. I could point to our pastor here in this situation. I can point to the fact that Moses goes to the top of the hill that the posture Moses had and, and the motion of him holding up the staff or the rod and the fact that, yes, Moses lifted up his hands. And I don't have time to go through all that this morning. But what I do want to focus on is the fact that had Moses not prayed in this instance, had Moses gave up on praying at any point in time, then the battle would have been lost. Have you ever watched something take place and the whole time you had the power to stop it. Have you ever been in that place? You, you're watching it unfold and you're like, if I could just get the words out, I could stop what's about to happen. In many ways, Moses got to experience that. Moses stood on a place where he could oversee the whole battle. And over time, he watched how the tide of the battle ebbed and flowed according to how much he pressed and interceded to God. The more he lifted up his hands, the more Israel began to prevail. The battle at this point is directly related to his actions. The weight of his prayer he started to feel in his hands. If he didn't continue praying, again, Amalek would prevail. If he didn't continue to seek the guidance of the Lord, then also Amalek would win. How many of us have stopped seeking the guidance of the Lord? And over time, we wonder how our flesh, our will, our attitude, our carnality starts to get out of control. And the whole reason why is at some point, we just stopped going to God. Our hands got too heavy. We were like, I can't hold this anymore, God. And so we had to let it, we had to let it down. I want to challenge someone today. Keep on praying. We have to pray. We can't afford not to pray. We can't afford not to go to the Lord in prayer. Before I move on from this point, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge Aaron and her in this situation. If you're fighting a battle this morning and you're weary and you're tired and your hands are, are heavy, you can't hold up that rod anymore, understand you don't have to do it alone. You're not in this by yourself. Come on, church. We're supposed to support one another, right? 
We're supposed to pray and encourage. That's how we get victory in this scenario. That's how we overcome our flesh. Because the truth is, if we're living for God, we know where to find the rock. We know where to find that thing that'll support us. We know where we need to take a seat and then help someone else get lifted up. We know where the right foundation is, and we must lift up the hands of those that are battling even today. We must pray. Paul said we got to pray without what? Pray without ceasing. It's where I started this morning. We have to fight. Moses certainly had an important part in the praying, but the equally important part, I said these two go hand in hand, is that Joshua also had to fight. We can't just pray and not fight. Many of us are on that. We're trying to do that. We're trying to pray and say, God, you got it. Nope, God's saying, ah, that's not how it works. You got to get involved in this thing yourself. Yes, you got to pray, but you also have to fight. If Joshua had refused to fight, then Amalek would have prevailed. No matter how much praying Moses did. If Joshua said, oh, nope, it's not my time. This is the first time Joshua is mentioned in the Bible. Josh said, ah, I can't do this yet, Moses. I'm not called. God hasn't laid his hands on me and said, you're the next one yet, right? If Joshua said, now is not my time, then they would have lost the battle. If he had decided to quit midway through the battle, how many of you have been there? If he decided to quit midway through the battle, then Amalek still, again, they would have won. Joshua fought all day until the sun went down. Verse 13 says, Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Now, this may sound like a simple thing. Joshua and the children of Israel, they won the day, right? They, they won the day until the sun went down. They fought. They won. Yay, everybody's happy. But if you know your Bible, then you also know that God's people would fight the Amalekites over and over and over on a continual basis. And some of us are good with a short engagement. If I have to fight my flesh for a day, I'm good with that. Many of us, we can fight our, our temptation, our, our issue, our struggle for a day. But can you fight it for weeks? Can you fight it when you're tired and weary? That's why you got to pray. Right? right? Can, you, can you fight it over and over and over and over and over again? Which how many know that's what we have to do with this flesh? Right? Paul said, I die daily. We've got to crucify this thing on a regular basis. In verse 16 of this story, and I'm hurrying to a conclusion, God swore that he would fight the Amalekites from generation to generation. And if you know your history, then that's what, that's what ends up taking place. And I did a Bible study recently. My friends are in the back, Stephen and Marge. We were in a Bible study recently, and a question was risen up. If you read, let's turn real quick to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Many of you guys know the story of King Saul. And God gave Saul a command. And it says here in 1 Samuel 15 and 1, Samuel said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over the people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Verse 2. Then saith the Lord of hosts, I will remember that which Amalek did to Israel. How he laid for weight in him in the way when he came up from out of Egypt. In verse 3, here's the, here's the verse I want to focus on. Now go, this is God telling Saul, go and smite Amalek 
and utterly destroy all that they have. Spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And in this Bible study, the question arose, how could God wipe out an entire people? Isn't that harsh on God? Isn't that harsh for God to kill an entire nation of people? And as I began to do this study, when you understand that Amalek represents our flesh, then you understand if you don't kill that thing entirely, then one day it's going to rise up and it's going to fight you again. It's going to fight you over and over and over. If you're not submitting this flesh to God, then you're going to have a battle on your hands. And I know we don't like to fight. We already kind of talked about it. But you're going to end up having to fight this battle, fight this flesh over and over and over again. And many of you know the story of Saul. Saul didn't obey God. And guess what? As a result, his kingship was taken from him. As a result. And later on down the line, David would have to fight the Amalekites and Ziglag. Later on, King Hezekiah, centuries later after David, would have to fight the Amalekites. And just when it looks like Amalek is dead, we get all the way to the story of Esther. And there's a man named Haman who's descended from the Amalekite nation. And here we have another man who's still trying to kill the people of God. And so God's like, I had enough. The, old, the, the instrument that he's using to kill my people, I'm going to take care of it. He, he, we're going to kill him with his own instrument. And if we're not careful, men and women of God, if we don't kill this flesh, then it will rise up somewhere down the line. And it will want to lead you away from the things of God. And so we must fight. You must Face the battle, and the battle is your flesh. If you don't want to fight it, trust me, you're not going to have victory in Jesus. You've got to nip that in the bud. You've got to submit and destroy the part of you that is enmity against God. Stand with me today as we come to a close. The last part of this story, as we look at victory over Amalek, is the command that God gives to Moses in Exodus 17. Verse 14 and 15, can you put that up for me, Sister uh, Naomi? And it says, and the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial. Remember what I'm about to tell you. Remember, and not only just remember it, but he says to tell the next generation. Rehearse it in Joshua. Rehearse it over and over to the generation to follow because they're going to have to fight their flesh too. I know our kids are precious in our sight, but we got to teach them the lesson to submit, to kill that flesh. I know we want them to, to prosper and have great things, but they got to kill their flesh too. He says, I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from heaven. And the Bible says as a result of this discussion in verse 15, Moses builds an altar. And he calls the name of it Jehovah Nissi. How many know what that means? The Lord is my banner. Right? The Lord is my banner. Now, I want to tell someone, if you're fighting with your flesh, which we all do, and you feel like you're on the losing side, first of all, don't quit fighting. Second of all, don't quit praying. But you see, the, the thing about Moses and being on the top of the hill was not only could Moses look down and see what was going on, but in the midst of the fight, Joshua could also look up and see that Moses was still standing there holding a banner, holding the rod of God in his hands. 
And so as we talk about the Lord is my banner, understand the Bible says look to the hills. That's where our what? Our help comes from. If you're battling, if you're fighting, first of all, don't stop. But understand you can just turn and look up and see that God is still on your side. God is standing there, and he is your banner in victory. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we close this morning? Oh, God, I thank you for your word, God. I thank you, God, that we can have victory over this flesh. God, it's not easy, certainly, Lord, but you've given us, God, the solution, and that is we got to fight it. You gave us weapons. We know the weapons of our warfare. They're not carnal, God, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds, God. And, and sometimes the stronghold is my own flesh. It's my own will. God, it's my own desires. And I pray, God, help us to kill off, Lord God, the flesh, Lord, that is hindering what we're going through, God. Help us to pray and intercede and seek your face, God. And, Lord Jesus, God, to never stop praying, never stop fighting, never stop, Lord God, considering Lord, that you are our banner in victory and that you yourself, God, have overcome, Lord. And so we are more than conquerors, God, if we, God, stay on track and continue to fight this good fight of faith. I pray help someone who is in the battle. I pray we as a church would help them lift their hands today. If you're fighting today, understand we are here as a church to be on your side and lift those hands. Don't drop them down. But continue to keep them lifted unto the Lord. Would you clap your hands unto the Lord today as we close out in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.